Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to episode 117 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Whether you're watching live on Facebook, whether you're watching archived on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, however you consume the Tech Sideline podcast, we're so glad you could join us today on Wednesday morning, February the 12th, for a special edition of the Tech Sideline podcast because we're pleased to be joined by the Athletics and Andy Bitter, who's here with us this morning. Andy, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's going to be this a nice, cozy set that you have here. I like it. The yeah. one thing we lack is like a fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andy did walk in and go, wow. <laughs> so. Well, I don't want to break the fourth wall here, but it, this is like in an office building, and then it feels like it's this like cozy little cabin of Hokies gear here. So, Yeah, we do need a bearskin rug and a fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When you see it on the camera, it's like, oh, are they in a small cottage? Outside <laughs> it's like, no, it's actually like an office building here. But, but just imagine that we're in a cottage. It, it looks much nicer. Right. We're, we're thrilled to have Andy here as we're going to be talking a lot about Virginia Tech football. And we remind you, if you have a question for Andy, we will get to them at the end of the show. We've got Malcolm Stewart behind the scenes, the best producer in the land, the land taking your questions on Facebook Live. Again, here on the podcast that we've got Andy Bitter. We've got Tech Sideline Managing Editor Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, and I am your podcast host, Evan Hughes. Again, so glad you're with us. Episode 117 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. A reminder that this week and every week, the Fisher Law Firm is Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their office in Blacksburg, they are able to serve the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. Whether you are charged with driving under the influence or speeding, the Fisher Law Firm realizes that each case is important to the client. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. The Fisher Law Firm, proud sponsors of the Tech Sideline Podcast. All right, with that, again, we welcome in our crew. We welcome all of you watching live on Facebook and how we just started off the podcast, the last five minutes, we have been talking about not Virginia Tech football, Office Space. Office Space, the movie. Evan thought it was a TV show until we just told him it was a movie. And Andy told me he lost a little bit of respect for me. So now I really need to see this movie. <laughs> you were making it out like, oh, man, it's this huge undertaking that I need to watch this. I'm going to clear really some not. time on my schedule once I'm done watching these other shows. It's like it's a, it's an hour and a half movie. <laughs> so that's what I was concerned about was a TV show. I, I was telling you last week, I'm so into the West Wing right now. I didn't want to stop. But if it's a movie, I can certainly yeah. set a, carve out two out hours. Yeah. Yeah, so, and you, and you got to see the uncut version, too. They run it a lot on Comedy Central, but it's cut on Comedy Central. So... I don't know what the best way to see the uncut version is. It might be on Netflix or Amazon or something like something that. Something like sure. that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so we need to see the office space. So I need to see the office space. We'll talk about it on Monday. So when are you going to see it? Let's be specific. This weekend. I will, by the next show on Monday morning, Text Outline Podcast, you, I will have Also, I, I think space. it's just called office space. It's, it's, not, it's, it's like not, Facebook. The, it's not the okay, Facebook, the, the office space. Office right. space. Office okay. space. Uh, He's going to watch it on the bus ride to South Carolina. Yes, right. I will. That'd be a good use of time. It would, that would be. be. Yeah. And why are you going to South Carolina? Going with Tech Baseball this weekend. Okay. Uh, they're opening weekend at the uh, down in Conway, South Carolina, hosted by Coastal Carolina. They've actually got some uh, good competition this weekend. Okay, it's one of those. It looks like buses. Do they have like a TV in the team bus? Or something I don't know. Like that? I mean, I, I, you could, everybody could watch. Everybody could watch. Watch. What a great motivational so movie to, to watch like, to open the season. <laughs> I'm starting to think like this is yeah. lost on this generation, and it kind of. I was going to say, it kind of upsets me. It does. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I. I just had never even heard of it. No disrespect to the movie. I just take a poll. I want to know how many of those baseball players have seen the movie. It offends us so much because it makes us feel old. <laughs> well, you know, I was going through the comments last week when this came up on the show, and there was a comment that said "Fire Evan" with an exclamation point. I texted Malcolm like, "Did I say something last week?" He's like, "No, someone was saying Fire Evan after you haven't seen Office Space." All so. Right. Anyways, so um, fix that. Yes, yeah. we will fix that. Again, we're so glad to have Andy Bitter of The Athletic joining us here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Uh, Andy, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule and looking forward to talking about uh, Virginia Tech football. You know, there's never a downtime to not talk about Virginia Tech football. There's always something going on. All right, it'd be nice if there was a little bit of downtime instead of the freakouts that seem to happen on a regular basis uh, with this fan base. But, you know, that's good. People are passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, it'd be nice if they could not be passionate on like a vacation week or something like that. So they could step away from it a little bit. But, you know, people are into it. Yeah. And people have been certainly into it the last couple of weeks or so. There's been a lot of news going around this Virginia Tech football program over the last month or so. And, that, and that's kind of where I want to start, Andy. And then we'll get uh, Will and Chris involved here. We've been talking a lot on the podcast the last couple of weeks, of course, about, uh, Will, what was the word you described? The Justin Fuente Baylor... Uh, dalliance dalliance uh, i like that word a lot the dalliance between justin fuente and baylor almost a month now removed from that situation and then the press conference last week and the transfer portal and that news looking at those two's those two pieces of information having some time to reflect on it what what did you make of all of that uh i think it's sort of part of college football these days i mean it, you know it, Justin Fuente is probably glad today that he's no longer the poster child of, uh, you know, sort of tone deaf or uh, awkward comments about the transfer portal because Mel Tucker just took the Michigan State job after one year at Colorado. And he, I think he had a comment that was something like, there's no transfer portal in real life. So uh, for somebody to say that, that uh, forcefully and then take a job somewhere else after one year. Uh, maybe Fuente is a little bit off the hook. Uh, I didn't think what he said was all that bad, to be honest. But, uh, you know, if if columnists want to blow it out of proportion this time, they've got somebody else that they can kind of focus their Death Star on uh, at that point. But, uh, yeah, a month removed, I mean, it, it kind of happens in college football. I mean, guys are going to talk to other schools about jobs. You know, Fuente said that the only schools he's talked to about jobs, like actually spoken to, are Virginia Tech when he took this one and Baylor when he ended up staying put in this one. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, it wasn't his job to, to turn down or something like that. I don't know if that's really the case. I, th I think there was a lot of interest from Baylor's side. They did not send uh, a small contingent of people up here to talk to him, and they met for a, a decent amount of time. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, was there an offer? Uh, you know, college jobs, you don't get an offer until you're, you're going to say yes. It's kind of like a marriage proposal. You don't ask until you know what the answer is going to be. So, 
these people, oh, he didn't have an offer to turn down. It's like, that's not really how it works in college football. But I, I would say that the interest was uh, very uh, serious from Baylor about this. And, you know, Fuente liked what he had here, decided to stay put, um, you know, maybe pushes for a little bit more resources in certain departments in certain terms of uh, recruiting, staffing, and things like that. I mean, there's no change to his contract or anything like that or his compensation, but I think he would like to have – a little bit more help in terms of uh, the people working with him in the recruiting department and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I think it could be a net positive for Virginia Tech in the end if they do get more of those resources and, and that's sort of more co- clearly communicated to athletic administration and to, you know, the academic side that they do a lot of the uh, the approving of these kind of jobs and stuff like that. But, uh, f- you know, for the moment, I could see why – Hokies fans would be freaking out about it because this is as the Michigan state searches show, this is not the time of year where you want to be going through a coaching search. Like it's really yeah. late in the process and a lot of guys just aren't going to leave because it's just an awkward time to leave right now. So I think Virginia tech fans can probably be happy that they're not going through that right now. Chris, a month removed. We've talked about it, but I mean, even more time to marinate it. I mean, how will you remember this five years from now? I remember everybody being mad at him when they ought to be th- probably thanking him because I think he's lit a fire to a certain extent as far as I think he's he's increased the awareness of some of the issues they have over there relative to other schools as far as resources staffing and things like that um I I think he was interested in the Baylor job I think it was a win-win situation for him either he gets the job offer to Baylor and makes more money and he's closer to home or he opens the door to getting more resources at Virginia Tech. So it was absolutely a win-win situation for him there. In effect, I think he basically, whether he intended to do this or not, I don't know, but uh, he basically beamered Virginia Tech. That was a term when Frank Beamer would go talk to other schools back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and come back and get a raise for him and his coaching staff. Well, Fuente is not getting a raise for him and his coaching staff. Uh, I think he's going to have access to, to more resources to help make Virginia Tech more competitive. Um, so that, that that's my takeaway from it is long-term or short-term, a lot of people are angry with him. Um, long-term, I think what he did was for the best. I think uh, <clears throat> I think it increased awareness of some of the, the lack of resources as we've talked about. And, and what do we mean by that? We specifically, in, in my opinion, I think the thing that's most important is is space. For a larger staff, a large, specifically a larger recruiting staff, um, you know, Nick Saban's the one who put in the model of the large staff. I think when he took the Alabama job in 2008, am I? No, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he brought the NFL model. I think he was coming from the Dolphins, and that included a huge support staff. So I think uh, programs up until then had been locked into: you can have the head coach, you can have nine assistant coaches. It's ten now and two graduate assistants. And I think they kind of, that's what they went with. And and Saban said, yeah, I want all that, but I also want a staff of 10 or 15 people who can help me break down film, scout upcoming opponents, you know, identify recruiting prospects, manage the recruiting process. Saban really started that. And uh, uh, Dabo took uh, full advantage of it. But by then, you know, this was a concept that was three or four years old. And, when when you look across college football and people expand their stadiums or build new stadiums or whatever, everybody sees that. Nobody sees the the guys who are doing the work down in in the offices in in the in the football offices. That kind of stuff isn't well known to the common fan. 
And so you may not realize that, that, that Virginia Tech has fewer guys than other programs. And John Yetzi talked about this on a podcast the other day. He's, he's director of recruiting for, I think that's for Virginia Tech. Title, yeah. Yeah. He talked about going to a, a, some sort of seminar or, or gathering convention. for yeah. convention for these kind of staffers. And Virginia Tech took two people, and UVA had eight, and other programs had 12 to 15 guys there. And that's when Yetzi's eyes kind of popped, and he said, wow, we're really far behind. Um, th- your, your typical fan doesn't see that stuff. So those are the kind of resources we're talking about. And I say this all the time. Virginia Tech doesn't need a football building with a lazy river and mini golf and stuff like that. They need these guys. They need they need uh, a larger staff, and they need a place to put them. That's what we're talking about when we talk about resources. These coaches now are making $4 million, $5 million, $6 million a year. Frank was – in air quotes, only making like one hundred and twenty-five or one hundred fifty thousand a year back then. It's not about money anymore for these guys. It's about giving, being given the tools to have a chance to win. Yeah, um, to me, I, I think Fuente had a quote during signing day, not this year, but last year, and I saved the quote in case we ever needed it. It was, uh, oh, how did it go? We don't have the staff or the facilities to accommodate a large number of recruits. Or a big recruiting weekend. Or yeah, I think he was like talking that. about like junior days and junior days like and stuff like that. Like they they can only accommodate a certain amount of recruits in their families because Virginia Tech doesn't have a big enough staff to efficiently handle all those players, process those players when they're on campus. And during the week, they don't have enough office space to actually put that extra staff, even if they wanted to hire them. Um, I mean, I've, I've walked through the Merriman Center and Jamerson Center from top to bottom throughout the, my course of covering the team, and it seems pretty filled up to me. And I'm sure Andy's done the same. You've walked around in Merriman and seen guys crammed into offices. And... Yeah, the recruiting uh, department. There's like three guys within the same room, I yeah. think. Their GAs share a lot of stuff. I, I think less a concern about like actual like bricks and mortar and like where you put them is just having the positions – full time yep i mean mm-hmm. i mean i listened to that yesy uh, podcast too and it, you know the, the he mentioned that in fuente's first contract where it said they were creating a recruiting position explicitly in the contract that was yesy's position uh and they have not really added anything full-time since then i think i think they're up to five four or five mm-hmm. in the recruiting department and and you can look at other uh programs i think i want to say he said virginia has like 17 or something like that uh, and, you know, that includes, like, regional scouts. Like, I, I did a story on Jordan Mack before the ACC championship game, and he was talking about his, his brother is up there. And uh, his brother played at Richmond, and then he was a regional scout for UVA. And I'm kind of like, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's basically he's out there trying to find other guys. This is how they described it, trying to find other guys who are like Jordan Mack that fit that program and have that kind of profile. And it's just more eyes to look at. Uh, you know, film and, you know, you obviously can't go out and like talk to these guys if you're not an assistant coach, but it's more people to break down, uh, you know, huddle film and, and go through stuff and, and kind of do the legwork, the, the nitty gritty stuff on recruiting that before you even get out on the trail and you talk to these guys and try to convince them to come here, you have to identify them first. Uh, and, you know, that's probably where these programs like Virginia Tech need to succeed is, uh, you know, are you going to beat guys out for the, the four top high four stars and, and five star recruits that's never been tech's mo but they need to evaluate better and find guys that are you know maybe not the highest ranked recruits but become 
you know, very valuable players over time. Because I, th- I think when you look at successful recruiting classes, and I do this every year, I go back and look at it, and it's, you know, they're all ranked about the same, with the exception of this past year. They're all ranked 20th to 30th something, somewhere yeah. like that. But there's a lot of variation within that, and a lot of it is based on how these guys pan out. It's not necessarily always the stars. Uh, you know, Tech, I think, has done better with the stars lately than they have uh you know 2011 to 2015 like they just seem to have a lot of guys that busted in in that time mm-hmm. frame but lately i feel like you know dax hollyfield trey turner these guys that were really highly ranked have, have actually panned out in recent years but uh you know if you sign a you know a four-star guy and after a year he's gone it's like well what have you done for the program like yeah you you, you did something pretty good on signing day but uh it's not going to do anything for the program whereas you mm-hmm. sign somebody like you know, I love going to Greg Stroman as an example, who's a two-star guy, I think, on Rivals. He, he was way down there, but he was a productive player throughout his entire career and then turned into a, a fabulous player by the time he was a senior. Uh, yeah, but even examples beyond that, guys that maybe aren't stars but at least contribute to the program, you just have to reduce the number of guys that are just out-and-out misses. Yeah, Fuente's talked before about having, you know, recruiting four stars and and winning the signing day press conference, and then those guys aren't even in your program two years later. And like you said, you haven't done the program any good when that happens. Yeah, I mean, you have to recruit to your culture, I think, and signing a guy like Jacoby Pinckney helps your recruiting rankings, and everybody's like, woohoo, Virginia Tech beat out Alabama and Georgia for a wide receiver. That's great. That's going to elevate the program. Well, apparently he just was did not have the work ethic required yeah. and was out of the program after one semester. So, yes, the Tech's recruiting class ranking was helped, but it didn't help the program at all, did it? Sure. Well, I'm not one of those guys It's like, oh, recruiting rankings don't matter. They matter in terms of competing for a national title. I always use like, the phrase in aggregate. When you talk about large numbers, right. you macro, macro. Macro sense, they matter. Micro mm-hmm. sense, you're going to have a lot of variation there. Yeah. Uh, it, I just I feel like there's maybe sort of this unrealistic expectation from a lot of Hokies fans, like, oh, that's they got to get back. They got to recruit top ten classes, and it's just like it's just not going to happen. They I never did. I have yeah. once. I, I have this theory, and it's not my theory. I mean, other people have theorized this too. That like you kind of are what you are in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to dramatically change the course of where you typically recruit. Now Clemson has has. Clemson's a little bit of a, an exception, I think. They had the potential for top ten classes before, and they had done it every now and then, and now they're kind of on a different plane but i but i know you've looked at their recruiting rankings after Dabo came on board and it was actually years before he reached this level right i, I mean they, re- they had to start winning before that that came his around classes were ranked 13th to 15th they they were good but clemson had done that before yeah. virginia tech's never really done that with any regularity i think right. the highest they were was 14th by rivals in 2005 yeah and everything else is 20 to 30. I mean, that's just sort of the ballpark they live in. So if you can be there but then find success within that, I think that's where the Hokies have to to do their thing. One thing I always find interesting, the stat got brought up somewhere recently, and I just looked it up on SBNation.com, was you look at – no, Tech, not there yet, but you look at teams that have made the college football playoff since 2014 and where their recruiting class average was for that year. I think the only team that I read that was outside the – top 15 or 20 was Michigan State in 2015 and they had like the 29th best recruiting class you look at like Alabama and 14 was one Florida State was five Ohio State was six Clemson was 13 at the time but it just goes to show like you you were saying Andy that recruiting does matter 
in the numbers. And Michigan State, for what it's worth, got blown off the field. Yeah, crushed. Yeah. And I think it was that was, a men, that was a men versus boys game. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I went to Wisconsin. I follow Wisconsin football. I covered it way back in the day when I was a student. Uh, I see a lot of similarities between Wisconsin and Virginia Tech. Wisconsin recruits to what it is. And it's never going to have high recruiting rankings. It'll do pretty well for itself if they recruit to the system. They can achieve great things, be a top 10 team. But then when you, you start talking about, oh, can they win a national championship? I'm just being honest with myself. No, I don't think Wisconsin can. Uh, just in the same way with Virginia Tech, probably have to default to say no. It's, it's a really tough thing to do to get in that upper tier of college football. Uh, so, you know, it was, I think Wisconsin's lost like seven or eight straight to Ohio State or something like that. And yeah, I don't like it, but, you know, it's just sort of the reality of, of the pecking order of things. So I, I think if Virginia Tech ever wants to get into this national uh, championship conversation again, it, it sort of has to hack the system. It needs to find a way to, to succeed that's not just strictly based on, you know, pure talent that comes in. You have to have a system that can succeed beyond what the capabilities are, uh, you know, recruiting rankings-wise of a lot of these guys. And you almost, I mean, you saw the recipe for it in 1999. Right. I mean, you have mm-hmm. uh, you know a real solid defense across the board that all of a sudden Corey Moore is a standout, one of the best in the country. And then obviously you have a transcendent player in Michael Vick. But it just shows how, how many things have to go right for a program to even be in the national championship conversation if you're not one of those uh, programs that recruit like that. You need to have, you know... Th- the best, if not you know, one of the best, if not the best player in program history. You know, all due respect to Bruce Smith, I'm you know, talking about impact on the program, but and a guy that you know changed college football, and you know, kind of an easy conference and schedule to go through. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, you get to the championship game and you still can't win it. You come that close, it just shows how tough it is to do. And recruiting has changed so much. You know, Michael Vick picked Virginia Tech over East Carolina and Syracuse. Right. The, these days, he the Tech would have to beat out Penn State and Clemson and Florida and Auburn and everybody on the East Coast, at least, for, for Michael Vick. It's just changed so much over the last 20 years. Um, so it's kind of like, I mean, recruiting in the 90s and 2000s, it's it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison to right. what it, recruiting is like today. It's just a completely di- different... Camps were a thing back then, right? Right, no, not, absolutely not. Huddle, obviously, wasn't People didn't recruit then. out of their state nearly as much as, the, as they do these days. So so there were recruits that didn't even bother, or there were teams that didn't even bother to recruit the state of Virginia back then that are now paying a lot of attention to the state of Virginia because you know the Internet's made the world a little bit smaller when, when it comes to things like that. And I was actually going to grill you on Wisconsin today. Um, <laughs> I've accumulated some data. I've yet to run an article, but uh, I've always said Virginia t- – not always, but the last couple of years I've said Virginia Tech needs to model their program after Wisconsin. Um, I, I th- I've, when I was growing up, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, and Nebraska – all reminded me of each other. They, they, they were all strong running teams, tough, physical, blue-collar guys. And if you look at the last 10 years, and I've, I've done average class rankings and everything like that, Nebraska has recruited the best in terms of, air quotes, recruited the best uh, in the recruiting rankings over the last 10 years out of those three teams. And out of those three teams, they have the worst record over those 10 years. Wisconsin has recruited recruited the worst, air quotes, over those 10 years, but they have the best record. 
Um, so and Wisconsin typically recruits probably in the 35 to 40 range, 35 to 45 range in the recruiting rankings. Um, so to me, and I, I've been saying this, it doesn't matter to me whether Virginia Tech signs the 20th or 25th ranked class or the 40th ranked class, uh, because you're talking at that point, you know, guys behind a computer assigning you know, fractions of Fractional a percent numbers, of, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And that determines whether you're 26th or 41st, a couple of fractions. Uh, so to me at that point, it's more about evaluation, recruiting your, to your culture and player development. Um, what, what Wisconsin has done has been amazing. And the thing is they've done it with multiple coaches. Well, they've done it with multiple coaches, but it's been one guy that's been the right. guiding principal to it. I mean, it's 30 years of Barry Alvarez. They're general manager, so to speak, uh, basically. Yeah, everybody that comes in is going to coach to that system because that is what Barry Alvarez has vetted in these coaches. And he mm-hmm. knows that they're going to do I mean, Paul Christ played at Wisconsin mm-hmm. under Barry Alvarez. I think he was a quarterback way back in the day. He's from Madison. Uh, you know, they got their guy. He's going to be there. Yeah. I, I can't imagine him leaving for any other college sure. job. So do they ever. have these conversations, the Wisconsin fan base? Uh, do, do they – and fan bases do this. They they bristle at, at, at where they are. They want to be better. Oh, Every absolutely. fan base wants to be better. Do they talk about, oh, we need to get away from this and – and do it? Did are the, do those conversations occur amongst Absolutely. the Wisconsin fans? And in my, uh, I don't want to say hot-headed youth, but my, uh, <laughs> you know, when I was a, a college student, uh, I covered the team as a senior, uh, the fall of my senior year. Uh, the two previous years, Wisconsin had gone to the Rose Bowl in both of those years and won it both times. Uh, my senior year, they went eight and five and went to the Sun Bowl. That was my first experience of El Paso going to the Sun Bowl. You know, during that season, Brooks Bollinger was the quarterback I remember him. Uh, for Wisconsin those couple years, and he wasn't much of a thrower. He was, uh, you know, game manager type, could run the ball very well. Uh, they had the backup, Jim Sorgi, who mm-hmm. could throw the ball better. He was actually a backup for Peyton Manning for like 10 years, like the greatest job in, in sports. The, do, the Don Strzok job. Hold a, yep. hold a clipboard for 10 years to get paid for all that. But uh, he was a much better passer not as much of a runner and you know as a 20 year old senior writing about the team you know you get seduced by what oh my gosh this guy can open up the passing game so much why isn't he starting and all this stuff and uh you know i I look back at some of the quotes now from the coaches that talk about bollinger and they're like he was the best leader we've ever had for this program Mm -hmm. stuff stuff like that just stuff that you don't see when you're, you know, you don't have that much experience covering college football, and you're like, this guy throws it much better. He should be the starter, and that that's the end of that. So, yeah. uh, you know, I I think I have matured over time and <laughs> have a little bit different perspective on some of this stuff and understand why coaches go with certain players uh, in situations like that. But, but, yeah, I mean, that was just an example that I was like that back in the day. I'm sure – uh, you know, I know a lot of people were as well. Uh, I'm sure they're still like that. Like, yeah. oh, why can't Wisconsin get over the hump against Ohio State? It's like, well, because Ohio State's one of the premier programs in the history of the sport. It's tough to do. Yeah. And it's tough to do with any sort of regularity. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm pleased with Wisconsin's approach. They, you know, they get a bunch of corn-fed linemen. They get like a stud running back from New Jersey, it seems like. Yeah, like who year. won the Heisman the year Michael Vick was third? Exactly. Ron Day. <laughs> Deserving, by the way. I know I'll take some heat from Hokies fans when I say that. But <laughs> that was a career award. It was not just a career. He ran for like 2,000 yards that year. Okay. And he did it where he sat out a lot of fourth quarters. I'm just saying he had a very good year. He was a monster. 
Also, if you look back at Vic's season stat-wise, not crazy. And obviously you vote before the Florida State game. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you do it after the Florida State game, I think that changes a lot of people's opinions. Well, but. Vic's, Vic's stats were incredible that year as far as passing efficiency. He would just throw the ball 12 times right, a game. Right, exactly. And so he 60 rack- yards to Andre Davis, and boom. Yeah, he wasn't racking up huge stats. Right. No. Yeah, 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 I'm guessing he sat out a bunch of fourth quarters. Too. A lot of fourth quarters, and he <laughs> missed one full game due to injury. Really, the first half of the season, he was limited with an ankle injury. Yeah. So. so one thing I want to do while we're talking about Wisconsin and how it kind of uh, has similarities to Virginia Tech, keep that discussion going because the defensive coordinator who we've talked about for Wisconsin is Jim Leonard, who is a, uh, mm-hmm. of course, a, a he was a terrific uh, safety. He played ten seasons in the NFL. Uh, younger defensive coordinator, Power Five job. And Chris made the comparison early about Jim Leonard and Justin Hamilton uh, as the new defense coordinator. Stolen for shamelessly Tech. from a tweet by Andy Bitter, actually. That's oh, right. <laughs> so. Talking about this Virginia Tech staff that Justin Fuente has assembled for this year, but specifically speaking about Justin Hamilton, now that it's been about two or three months since he's been named the defensive coordinator, what were your initial thoughts on the hire, and what have you thought about the job uh, that Jay Ham has done since he's got the job? Well, I don't really know about how he's done on the job because we haven't spoken to him. It's <laughs> a good point. We've spoken to any of the new assistant coaches. So, you know, I'm kind of flying in the dark with this stuff, too. I don't even know schematically how they plan to approach things. Uh, I would imagine it's not going to be too different uh, from what it was previously, but there might be tweaks. You never know. But uh, that'll certainly be something whenever we talk to him eventually that will be uh, first and foremost of my questions to ask him. Uh, I think it's it could be a good hire. I mean, it, it, the, the Jim Leonard thing has worked out very well for Wisconsin. So it, it proves that, you know, age is not a deterrent in some of these hires, that you can be a very capable coach even at that age, even with that level of experience. Uh, you know, you couldn't ask for a better mentor if you're somebody of that age that you, you cut your teeth with as a player and then come back and work with uh, as Bud Foster ahead of you. So, I mean, as somebody that knows the system, knows the players, knows the personnel – uh, I think that should help him going forward. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this defensive staff meshes. I think they, they made up for some deficiencies in certain categories. You know, Tracy Clays has some experience where Hamilton doesn't. Uh, you know, Daryl Tapp and Ryan Smith have, uh, you know, in-state ties where Bill Tierlink doesn't. Uh, Tierlink has that NFL experience where other guys, uh, you know, don't necessarily have that. So I, I think it's interesting that they sort of cover their bases in a lot of ways with that, but uh, I'm curious how that staff will mesh and how, how much continuity there will be from the previous year to the next. Cause I mean, that's, that's a lot of the reason why people have high hopes for the Hokies next year is that they have so much returning on the, the defensive side. Well, if they're returning and they're doing something completely different and aren't completely comfortable with it to start, you wonder how quickly they can sort of hit the ground running with that. You guys want to add to that at all? Just, I mean, having time to process. I'm the, blown uh, away by the, the brilliance. So I'm, <laughs> I'm speechless over here. No, he's right. We don't know what the defense is going to look like. And I'm trying to write these scouting reports, and I, I need to get back and do one this week. for Recruiting the, for, scouting reports. Right, for guys in, in the 2020 class. And I'm like, this guy, is, if he's a defensive end or he plays this position or he's a safety – yeah, he, I think he's a rover, but are they even going to have a rover now? Or is it going to be like a strong safety where the guy's always aligned to the run strength of the side of the formation as opposed to the short side of the formation all the time? So it's it's really hard to make these evalu- evaluations on players for tech system when you don't know exactly what it's going to look like. You know, I know the cornerbacks will be the same, I'm sure. I think we should we could see a little – 
we could we will see something little different up front with regards to how the defensive linemen are, are used to a certain extent but i don't expect wholesale changes like he said i expect tweaks but you never really know till you get out there i mean hamilton's coached or played in so many different styles of defense the old style virginia tech scheme then his first year in the nfl he's with the browns and he's in the saban belichick three four scheme and he was in a different scheme with the Redskins, I forget what. And then he kind of had his own scheme when he was defensive coordinator at, at UVA Wise, which I still call Clinch Valley. Um, you, did you even know? It was I have no idea yeah, what that meant. Yeah, I'm sorry. Exactly. Clinch Valley College, right? Yes, I love exactly. how you know that. You know what I don't know. Like You both will call me out on it. <laughs> well, you don't know office space. From now on, I'm just going to assume you know nothing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. And – that's why, like, spring games are generally speaking, you know, pretty boring. Um, this one will be a little more informative than most, I think. Um, you can look out there, and if there are any differences in, in how players align, maybe you'll be able to spot them. Or maybe not. Maybe they just go completely vanilla when they know they've got eyes on them. Um, I think they'll be very vanilla against Liberty in the first game. I don't know if we'll really get a real look at what the defense is going to look like until that second game of the season against Penn State. Journalistically, that's refreshing to like have something new to write it about. It's absolutely. Like, uh, you know, Bud is. is yeah, you know, I've been here since 2011, and you guys obviously have been here longer yeah. than that. It's like it's almost paint by numbers at a certain oh, point when you're writing articles it, about stuff. You've got like, a template, well, and you yeah. just change the year. Yeah. So this is uh, actually very interesting to have sort of a new perspective. It's not completely – it's not like they're running a 3-4 or something like that. Right, but, right. Uh, to have a new perspective on defense, it'll it'll lead to some interesting stuff, at least writing about it. It'll be a different perspective. So Clinch Valley College became UVA Wise in 1991. Did it really? According to Wikipedia. Uh, I don't think – we still called it Clinch Valley when I was in high yeah, school. Yeah, that sounds awfully – uh, like, like they would come to my high school and, and recruit and call themselves Clinch Valley still. Hmm. So I don't even know if that's In 1999, accurate. the Virginia General Assembly renamed the school University of Virginia's College. Okay, that's, that sounds about right. Oh, following an unsuccessful effort to change the name in 1991. There you go. So okay. I'm skimming. Yeah. So it was 1999. Okay. Yeah. That okay. Makes sense. Which one of those is better, do you think? <laughs> Neither one of them is really satisfactory. <laughs> what, is their, what is their team mascot? That's a good question. Oh, <laughs> that's good. Let's Wisers? go look at that. The Wisers. UVA Wise is not related to UVA, right? It's just like a guy with like a thinking. I mean, I have no idea. Uh, it was. It's part of the University of Virginia. Yeah, says technically here. it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see if they list mascot uh, athletics. Up oh, the Cavaliers should have guessed that. Of course, we were the Cavaliers in high school. Uh, we <laughs> you had. You were what Chatham? Chatham. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I remember but, covering Chatham. Yeah. In my Danville days. Well, 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 I was going to talk to you about Danville also, and how <laughs> we're two of the fortunate souls to actually escape at some point i escaped after 18 years you escaped after it was a uh, 20 months 20 months not that uh, i was counting them yeah, right exactly <laughs> but yeah uh, it was fine it was the uh, the work environment that had some uh some issues down yeah there, to um, say the least for sure and we had the cross sabers we had the cavalier as the mascot we had someone on a horse dressed up as a cavalier leading us out on the field wow. before the game yeah, yeah you know when uva changed their logo when they introduced that cross sabers logo you saw it trickle down through um some high school teams mm -hmm. you know uh i is it is liberty the the there's a Minutemen or something like that and they Bedford's suddenly the Minutemen. and okay. they suddenly had crossed like rifles or something mm -hmm. like that so you saw a lot of mimicking of the, the Didn Woody high school in uh in richmond is they've got the what do you say the sape the 
sabers cross sabers i never heard that before. okay cross yeah. sabers um well that's why the, that's why it's called the saber.com the, the uva site that's part of sports war Mind is blown now. Now yeah. that's making a lot of sense. You're now, learning so many things. I'm learning so many things here on the Tech Sideline <laughs> podcast brought to you uh, by the Fisher Law Firm. We've got Andy Bitter here from The Athletic joining us. The last thing I want to do talk about the offseason because I do want to spend a little bit of time kind of recapping the season, looking ahead to 2020, uh, is quickly just discuss this, this 2020 recruiting class and maybe throw in 2021 a little bit. Um, obviously, high hopes for 2021. That was said by... Uh, many in the program as of late and what that could turn out to be. But Andy, your thoughts on how the Hokies were able to finish the 2020 recruiting class, given the coaching changes, any players you think that could have an impact here this year as a freshman and then looking ahead to 2021? You know, I think they probably finished about as well as you could have hoped. Uh, You know, they bring in the new coaches on the defensive line. You get Alec Bryant and Robert Wooten out of Texas, you know, those are the two highest-ranked guys in the class, technically. Uh, you know, just kind of underscores how, you know, lackluster the class was prior to that from a rankings perspective. But uh, I think they like this Dalen Wright that signed this receiver that uh, had a big senior year. Uh, I think that's one thing that they're looking at is that they want to be, you know, scout these guys that uh, sort of emerge as seniors and are pretty good guys like that. Uh, you know, the class overall is pretty underwhelming. Just in terms of uh, star power, you don't have a headliner in it or a quarterback or anything like that. I think they they like some of these guys further down, like uh, Dorian Strong is one that I've heard that just just jumped off the page at them at a, at a camp before his senior season. And Virginia Tech's one of the first that gets in there and offers him, and he accepts on the spot. And I think that the staff is like goes to the, the high school coach like, now he's going to have a huge senior season. Like, he, he is, and other schools are going to come in here, <laughs> and they're going to try to get him, but remember that we were the first <laughs> that he committed here, and apparently, you know, the coach up there, you know, took that to heart, and other coaches came in, and he kind of didn't let them take too much of a look at him, and like, listen, he's committed to Virginia Tech, so uh, I think he's one that they think they, they really got a steal on, and he's he's a player that, rankings-wise, is nothing to write home about i think he i think his only other offer was delaware state i think that's something right like that. the, which the uh, christian derisaw path exactly of, the Dan- uh, delaware Jancy state path. so yeah. uh so that's just another example of these rankings aren't, aren't the end-all thing you can find uh these gems within that but uh and it'll be interesting I, I, th- I think they went in a little bit different direction on the defensive line especially at the end uh you look at the two texas guys justin Beatles, who's you know six five six five and a half whatever they, they list him as we'll, we'll see what his actual height is right uh prospects have a tendency to shrink once they get to campus but uh uh i think that was my biggest takeaway was just how they ended with maybe adding a little more length at that defensive end spot and trying to upgrade that position and you know we'll see how 2021 goes they're obviously off to a good start with Demetrius davis uh, you know, pretty well-regarded quarterback prospect. Not the biggest guy, but just for what Tech does, I think he would seem to fit this offense quite well. Uh, I think they have high hopes within the state, which is something they probably should after last year getting one guy uh, from Virginia. Uh, you know, we'll see if that pays off. But I, I think this, I think 2021 things will kind of normalize with recruiting, where you don't have. Uh, you know, the uncertainty with Bud Foster's future. You know, first it was whispers about, you know, what's going to happen? Is he going to continue? And then it becomes, you know, in the fall, who's his successor going to be? And that's tough. I mean, that's a, that's, it's not quite like losing a head coach, but he was so, you know, instrumental in this program that if you're a defensive recruit, 
you're probably not going to pick Virginia Tech, not knowing what what the future is going to be at that position, or at least you, you're a little you know iffy on that whole thing. Uh, you know, he, they were also recruiting off of the the worst season in the quarter century. You know, they didn't turn things around until October this year, right. so that's pretty late in the process to be you know, winning the hearts and minds of some of these recruits. So I think you'll probably see them get back to probably what they are ranking wise. Normally, if they're top 30, that's probably a success in this class. But again, like I said before, it's, it's finding those guys within that ranking that can maybe exceed the, 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 the expectations that where they'll really find their success. I'm going to be interested to follow the career of Dalen Wright. All right. He was a two-star guy from South Carolina whose other offer was Appalachian state. And compare his career to that of Jacoby Pinckney, who was one of the top players in South Carolina, who had this big offer list, um, four-star guy, you know, depending on which ranking service you use. Um, I really, I thought Pinckney was a really good prospect, but apparently he just... And and he may wind up working out somewhere else. Maybe somewhere else, who knows? Uh, I don't know where he'll land, but but we heard just from a work ethic standpoint, it was not the place for him. He wasn't a culture fit. Wouldn't it be crazy if the guy who helped Virginia Tech's recruiting ranking, you know, he's done nothing in his career, but the two-star guy who hurts the recruiting ranking goes on to have a good career, right? And and that will be the, that would be the perfect example of micro recruiting versus macro recruiting on an individual level. Recruiting rankings don't matter, but taken on the aggregate over the course of years, they do matter if you want to compete for a national championship. Well, well, what's Wright's story? He's a like three sport athlete. He's probably yeah, he more did, of a basketball player than go a football to player. Missed like half a, his junior year. Yeah, he got in a fight yeah, or something. Got suspended yeah. for a couple games, and then he, he had like 50, his numbers his senior year were ridiculous. It was like fifteen hundred yards and twenty five touchdowns. Right. And, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. said at the press like conference, he catches. put his, he put that team on his back and took him to a. A state title. He's from sort of a small town in South Carolina, so I don't think a lot of schools go through right. there. I mean, this is this is the kind of guy where you know people say, "Oh, there's no recruiting," uh, you know, uh, uh, under the radar type guys. Yeah, this feels like it is. It is, and this one is. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, it proves that those guys you can still find them. Now, who knows how he does? I mean, we we talk about all this stuff, and then you might get here. And, well, what, and do what, nothing, what you hope but. is that three or four years <laughs> down the road, Appalachian State is going. Man, we almost had we that almost guy. got a steal, man. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's they've had a good program, and that's how that's yeah. how they've built their program is obviously finding guys like that. But if you look at his huddle profile, his picture on huddle is of him playing basketball, which is telling right there. There you go. You know, if you're a football and basketball player, you know all these AAU events from April on through the end of the summer. You know, you you have a choice. You can either go to football camps and try to get more scholarship offers, or you can go to AAU basketball events and try to get more scholarship offers. And it sounds like he went to AAU events and never went to any camps and realized as a senior in high school that he was a better football prospect. And uh, Virginia Tech had a spot. And it's always good to leave a couple of spots in your class open. Uh, one, of the, one of the things Fuente hates about the recruiting process is it's gotten pushed so far up because some guys don't develop physically until their senior years of high school. Stephen Curry is the perfect example. They're a different sport, but but you know, guy grows like three inches. Is his Chris loves a Molotov cocktail. In the I, I, of yeah, and then I'm going to change the subject right back to football. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of guys don't develop physically till that senior year. But because the recruiting calendar's gotten pushed up, and you're taking commitments from guys a year in advance, guys are halfway through their senior seasons and. You're just now realizing they're a good player. Let's say it's a wide receiver. Ah, we've already taken three wide receivers in this class. We don't have room for this guy. Yeah. Um, 
So it's I think it's always good to leave a spot or two open to see if you can find a guy who gets a lot better uh, as, as a senior. And, I, you know, I, th- I think Fuente is a guy who might really excel under the old recruiting system. You know, w- when a lot of the recruiting was done between December and February, and that was it. You know, you basically spent two of your 12 months recruiting. Yeah, that changed and, in 19, 1995 was when that changed. But that's a whole other topic. And good discussion there about uh, recruiting for sure. And uh, what I want to do now is you know, we're about halfway through. I want to remind our viewers that if you're watching live on Facebook, drop your questions. Malcolm will take them. We'll get to them at the end of the show for Andy. Uh, we kind of want to start off the podcast talking about the current news and then spend a little bit of time reflecting on the uh, season that it was for Virginia Tech football. Sometimes, Andy, I'll ask these guys to describe things in one word or three words. So I'm going to I'm gonna throw this at you. If you had to describe last season's Virginia Tech football season in three words, how would you summarize it? Three words. Or less. Or more. <laughs> Did that happen? I guess. I mean, it was just uh, it was such a weird season. Uh, you didn't, you didn't, this time of year, like in the summer, I think everybody goes through the games like, oh, I'm going to predict which ones are going to win, which ones are going to lose. And uh, like I hit their record right at the end of the year. I said eight and four, but I got like every game wrong. <laughs> the prediction, Just <laughs> yeah. like BC and Duke, I think they're going to win. Miami, I think they're going to lose. Like it, it was just wrong on all the games. But, you know, the, the, the end result was uh, the correct prediction. But uh I thought they were going to be much better than they were at the start of the season. And then the way the first month went, I'm like, is this going to work out? To the point where like, I hesitated writing, like, oh, my gosh, is Justin Fuente on the hot seat or is he in trouble? And uh, I finally addressed it after the Duke game in a mailbag, just sort of not necessarily like what is he actually in trouble versus just like, you know, the buyout probably precludes any kind of talk of that. Because it was, it was such a massive buyout, but that Duke result was just so bad that you're like, man, you wonder if things go south on this season. Could that even creep into the conversation by the end of it? And then they put in Hendon Hooker, who had never really done much in any games. And I think there was uh, justifiable skepticism about, oh, is this guy going to go in and just be the hero that saves the day? And, you know, I said it. Um, I've said it many times. Like, you know, the backup quarterback is not the hero you think he is all the time. It's this... Uh, I think I called it backup uh, pedestal syndrome, where you put the backup on this pedestal. It's like, oh, Mark Leal is going to be so much better than Logan Thomas if you put him in the game. That's rarely, <laughs> if ever, the case. But that was the case this year, that Hendon Hooker was that good and that transformative for this offense. So uh, to go from the way that first month went to the, the next uh, eight games, uh, that was a pretty remarkable turnaround. I haven't seen anything in season like that since I've been covering uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, I obviously didn't cover the... 2010 season that was yep. before i got here when they, they went 0 and 2 to start that but uh yeah it, it's uh it felt like they turned that corner and then it, at the same time it almost felt like sort of a disappointment with how they finished where uh i think we were on the field i think aaron mcfarland and i were down on the field at the end of the notre dame game watching that and yeah, notre dame's driving down the field uh to win it but we're looking at each other and we're like this team's gonna win the coastal like right there, like we had seen like how they had sort of turned the corner and how, you know, they had no business even being in that Notre Dame game. If you look at the uh, the stats and, and everything that happened, I mean, uh, I guess a 98 yard fumble return for a touchdown or whatever it was, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll do that for you. Uh, but just the way that that team was competing at that point, even when it was shorthanded. Uh, we're looking at it, we're going, I, I think this team is going to win the Coastal and then they don't. 
and they you know sort of gave it away at the end of that UVA game. Then they gave away the Kentucky game in the, in the bowl game. It, it was weird. It's, the season started with high hopes, disappointing first month. Then they raised expectations with how they turned out. And then it was almost sort of disappointing with how they finished. Uh, it's, it's just an odd uh, you know roller coaster of emotions there that is, you, you look back and you're like, did that really happen like that? That, that was just a, a very strange season. So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> what What were you – what were you thinking after that Duke game? Uh, if somebody were to ask me that question, I would say, I don't think I was, you know, you got to remember I'm Virginia Tech graduate. The reason I got into this is I was a fan and I wanted to write about Virginia Tech. Um, I've tried to tr- transition beyond that and, and be more analytical in nature and things like that. But there are times where just what I'm looking at overwhelms me. So if you were to ask me, what do you think after that Duke game? And I would be like, I wasn't really thinking anything. It's what I was feeling. And what I was feeling was, what was that mess? What is going on here? Yeah, I, I think that was the question that everybody like. I'm, you know, pretty temperamental person. I don't get, I don't go high and low with the program like a lot of the fans do. Uh, but even after that one, I was like, is this going to work out yeah. for Fuente? Like, I think Fuente is a good coach, but it's just like, is there a disconnect here with something that? Yeah, the message is just not getting through to these guys because it that game wasn't so much like yeah they got they got uh, pushed around and, and they started and, off and really good if you that, remember that first quarter yeah. yeah they just couldn't do anything offensively but Duke yeah. had like zero yards in the first quarter but mm-hmm. it then it, it just seemed like it was a pattern with this team where one bad thing would happen you know you muffed a punt or threw an interception or something like that and or gave up and, a big run yeah and i forget what the what was the duke play that got things go was it was it an interception it was a, it was fumble. a fumble uh on the on the end around kashawn king okay and hendon hooker and then duke like the next play scored and then it was mm-hmm. just like the air went out of the balloon yes, and just like they just had no counter punch mm-hmm. and you're like that feels like it's a little reflective of coaching like if this team is that mentally weak, that like mm-hmm. one bad they, thing they, happens, then they just fold like a cheap suit. Right. And, yeah. and and that's why the, the Miami result the next week took me by such surprise. I'm like, I didn't know they had it in them because yeah. they hadn't shown it. And it had been a, a year and a month of that team. Just one bad things happen and, and they didn't really respond to it. So, uh, yeah, I started questioning at that point. I'm like, is this really going to work out? with this coaching staff and, and Fuente yeah. in charge. But uh, obviously they, they flipped the switch and, and turned things around. I think it was, was it Damon Hazleton that came in the next week and was like, it's not as bad as people think it is. And we all just kind of like, oh, right. Okay. You're saying it's like, no, he was right. I mean, it, mm. it wasn't quite as bad as that. I, I think that was a, you know, that was a, the famous Frank trait when things were bad he was like it's not as bad it's never as bad as you think it is and he was sort of the the guy as good as you think he was always sort of the guiding light through those those tough times i think when i you know when he got inducted to the hall of fame and he was talking to john belan and bud foster and and shane and you know that was sort of their message about him is he he was always just sort of that steady guy and he he'd always like that in his players those guys that were those steady guys in, in good times and bad and you know, I think Frank took a lot of criticism for that later in his career, being like, things are going to be all right, we're going to get through this, and everybody's freaking out. But, you know, I think sometimes you need that from your people in charge. And I, I think Fuente was like that. I mean, you, people are like, oh, you want him to go in the post game and just rip this team a new one and show emotion and all this stuff. Or the players, you just want them to be inconsolable and this stuff. It's like, is that going to make you better? Or is it going to be, you know... You'll fix this. You'll come out and do it, and that's what they did. I think that's the better way to approach it. Real quick, how do you think we'll look back on this 2019 
home schedule because you know going into the season we've talked a little bit about it you know everyone was saying oh there's not a marquee game how do you think 10 years from now tech fans will look back on the 2019 home schedule and what transpired at lane stadium uh yeah that north carolina game is going to live forever i mean that was you know six overtime so that one's going to be in the top 10 lists of of home games all time at virginia tech uh the other ones i think it's less about the opponent than the circumstance and you know you're saying goodbye to Bud Foster, you know, oddly in the Wake Forest game. That was such a weird. It was like don't want to overshadow Senior Day. It's like, <laughs> all four it's like seniors. All three <laughs> seniors. Like, uh, but yeah, I mean the fact that they go out and they you know completely shut down a, a high-powered team like Wake Forest. That's pretty memorable. Uh, you know Pitt sending them off with a shutout like that. That's pretty memorable. So yeah, there were memorable. Uh, outcomes in that, but I don't, I still don't think it changes the fact that it was a pretty just like boring home schedule. I mean, there's there's no getting around it. When it, it wound up being better than people thought it was going to be. Right. You yeah. Know, uh, would you ever have thought before the season started that people would be that that fired up about beating Wake Forest? Have you ever been excited about playing Pitt in the rain? Yeah. It, well, the, the no. win against Wake was the first win at home against a ranked opponent since Miami in 09. That's insane. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> uh, last thing on the season, we got to take a break here in just a minute. But, Andy, I do want to get your quick thoughts on uh, being a, a fan for the Rhode Island game and sitting in the stands and writing about that. What was that experience like for you? It was fun. I hadn't gone to a, a college football game as a fan since I was a junior in college. Wow. And it was Wisconsin versus Iowa. And Ron Dane broke the career rushing record. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like the second or third quarter, something like that. Everybody had these towels they held up. I still have the towel at home. Uh, so it had been a while, is is the point I'm trying to make. Uh, and I think you kind of lose that perspective after a while. It's like, you know, you guys have sat in the press box before. It's yeah. it's nice up there. It's cozy. There are drinks readily available. Yeah. Uh, you know, the bathroom situation is not great. I, can't, <laughs> I cannot believe they built those the press box so and the, the luxury the... suites that share like a one, two... One stall bathroom yeah. with everybody. It's like, a stall in a urinal to service, I don't know, a couple hundred people. That is an amazing lack of foresight. Yeah. Like, it's not even for the media. It's like you're, you're forcing like donors and luxury suite people you're to, paying to share a bathroom with, with us, the media. Like, un- <laughs> yeah. Unwashed masses over here. It's, yeah, uh, you go in there and you see the, the luxury box people and you're like, hey, how you doing? You go in there and you're like waiting in line for the bathroom with Frank. <laughs> it's like that probably shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Uh, uh. What was the question again? Just being a fan of the Rhode <laughs> Island game. So yeah, let, let, well, fun. let me ask you something specific. Uh, I, I, when you talk about, so you're talking about 1999 when you were in the stands watching Ron Dane, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So 20 years later, you're sitting in a college football stadium and there's all this noise coming from that video board at the end of, you know, and just all this fan engagement stuff that's very different from 20 years ago. Did, 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 did that did you notice that what did you think of it well i'm trying to think remember what it was back when i went to the game uh i might have been slightly drunker (laughs) (laughs) slightly and andy and i had a beer before this game you're talking about yeah uh you know the the bells and whistles on the video board it's weird you're like oddly drawn to it like you know how people talk about in you know, Jerry World the big uh, huge thing it's like you just like you look up at it all the time. I feel like I was just like oddly drawn to the jumbotron. Uh you know obviously because I'm a screen addict with my phone and my phone was basically a paperweight um, yeah. when I was there because you, you can't get Wi-Fi or any kind of cell service. But uh uh yeah, it's fine. I mean you got to do something when the guy with the the red hat 
and the red coat goes out there with a sign that's like three minutes, 45 seconds. You're like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is going to take forever to do this thing. Uh, and actually, the guy who does that, like, messaged me after. He's like, I love the story. He's like, I don't make the decisions of this. Like, I know, I know. You are like a proxy for my anger. I, 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 I think I remember the first time he went out there, he just kind of planted it in the field. And but in, in like, the next game, he learned to rotate it slowly so everybody could <laughs> everybody see, could see it. it. <laughs> no, but it was fun. I mean, you know, I got to go out there with my dad and go to a game, so that was fun. But, uh, I mean, you, you just – it's an interesting perspective because I'm used to, like – uh, you know, if something happens, I'll look at my computer and type some stuff in between the set, the the plays, and obviously during TV timeouts and stuff. And when you're in the crowd, you're just like there. Yeah, when you're when you're in the press box, on, you're like, man, this is really dragging. Well, uh, the, in the press box, the game goes a lot faster. Oh yeah, when you're yeah. working. When you're working, the thing about going uh, covering basketball games is, I'll find myself asking people on Twitter. I couldn't tell if that was goaltending or not. Those of you who were watching on TV, was that goaltending? Yeah, like, yeah. you can see the game better on TV these days than you can if you're a fan. Well, plus so. you're like, you know, people rip on TV announcers all the time uh, when they're covering stuff. But there's a lot of information they you get, get from yeah. that that you just don't have they in the stadium. Exactly. You're like, what are they looking at? I don't. Like, what, I, what I can't the, look at my phone. What are the refs reviewing there? I have no right. clue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, the refs don't really give you much of an explanation. They're right, just like, right. Come out of like and still tech balls. And, and, and what, and what and was he, the explanation? Right. Even after football games, I'll, I'll I'll go home and ask. So that that incomplete pass they reviewed. I didn't get a, they didn't show a replay on the jumbotron. Yeah. Did he catch it? I will I, say that's gave me a little perspective when we go in the post game and we ask like Fuente a very it's like on that third down play did it look like he caught it? And it's like he's like I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm a, I don't have a television. It's like yeah. It's like now it's like I understand this. Like, yeah, you you really don't it's, know it's, a lot of it's, stuff it's, happening it, in the moment. It, the you're, it's really hard. Your next game as a fan will be if Virginia Tech and Wisconsin ever actually play each other in like 2050. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> wasn't that game announced when you were in college? Or? It was, I want to be like 2002 college. or 2003, okay. yeah. something like that. So when I was in college. By the way, the perfect solution Nuts. to all this, college football just needs to adopt the XFL and the philosophy of everyone in the stadium can hear what the booth is saying to the officials and the TV. I like the trend. I'm you, when they go to review, they ought to play that over the video board. That's what, I think they do yep. that in the stadium for the XFL. Though. Well, so like everyone in the stands hear it and on TV hears it. They know exactly what they're looking at. Well, people so. say that. I mean, the original XFL back in the day, the NFL stole a bunch of stuff that they did. <laughs> the like sky like the sky cam. I mean, yeah. That was the origin of that whole thing. Really? That was, X, that yeah. was XFL? Yeah. Uh, do, do you remember the World Football League years ago had the uh, uh, um, camera in the quarterback's helmet. Yeah, yeah, that was that was interesting. Oh. There was a, oh God, I don't know if this was a Sega game or like a PS One game back in the day when I was a kid. But there was a football game, and I think it only lasted one year. Like obviously Madden crushed it, but you get a helmet cam, like you could play football. You were the quarterback, the quarterback. You know, was that like Joe Montana football Maybe, or something, something like that? It might have been something. So he like did have that. a video yeah. game. That's right. For one yeah. year, for one, that might have been Joe Montana. And football. now he advertises but, but yeah. catchers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you take the snap and you look at the field from a perspective of the quarterback, and yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. But yeah, you you lose some of that when you're in the crowd, yeah. and you have no idea what's going on. But yeah, I noticed the downtime. That was one thing. Uh, you know, it's it's weird, like fighting the masses to go down to get concessions and stuff like that. Like it just kind of hammers home. Uh, you know, and I, I would say like the pregame and the tailgating, the, the amount of time that people invest with this program and obviously money to try to, to come down here. I, I think it kind of uh, hit home with me. Like this is why these people are so invested 
with this program, this team. It's like you think of what you do to, to drive down from D.C. and set up early and tailgate all day and the money you spend on that and then the team goes out and they stink. And, and, you know, I'm sitting up in the press box all the time. I'm like, you people should just be happy you have a team or something like that. And like, Listen, <laughs> that we're kind of invested in this thing. It does yeah. it does drive the point home about why people get so worked up when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it was nice to get that perspective because I think you lose that when you sit in the press box so much. We've got a special edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast, episode 117. The Athletics' Andy Bitters with us. We're going to take a quick timeout here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. And when we come back, we're going to quickly talk about what to expect in spring ball and then what are Andy Bitters' early expectations for the upcoming Virginia Tech football season. That's what's coming up on the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go. Hokies. Welcome back into the Tech Sideline Podcast, episode 117, a very special edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast as the Athletics' Andy Bitter joins us here on the podcast set. And now what I've I've really been looking forward to talking about this because it was the perfect Christmas gift this year for my dad, 100 Things Virginia Tech Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, written by Andy Bitter. Andy, tell us a little bit about the process of writing a book. What was it like for you? Uh, so wait a minute, I got to give you a hard time. Why did they give that job to a guy who grew up in Minnesota and went to Wisconsin? Who hadn't been to a game as a fan? <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, I remember when I was going to the all, game. I'm all, like, all kidding aside, I'm like, anybody has any, any advice for the games? And people are like, this is pretty ironic that you're doing this. I'm like, just yeah, I get it. <laughs> so all kidding aside, how does that affect your process? Because I know, I know, if I was covering. Wisconsin, and I had to write that book. I'd I'd be pretty intimidated, and would would have to make sure I got it right. So, well, part of it was I came over here and I asked you guys to look at my list of a hundred oh, things. Right. But you had a pretty darn good you list. Good, by that I mean, I had a good start. I mean, I've been covering the team for eight years at the point when I got the assignment. So, uh, and I had been in Virginia since two thousand two, sure. with a, outside of a, a three year stint in Alabama covering Auburn. So, uh, I had been around the program quite a bit. Uh, had had a little bit of knowledge about it, but like, yeah, I, coming in here, I'm like, anybody I miss, or uh, uh, Chris Colson emailed him. I'm right. like, mm-hmm. let me know about some guys in the '70s and yeah, stuff. Yeah, Colson goes way back. Because oh, yeah. his uh, his Go Tech Go thing, by yeah. the way, was incredibly right. informational and yep. helpful in some of the stuff, just to make sure I didn't miss any of that. Sure. So. Did you uh, did you hit up Doug Daddy and although Daddy's book was about the Tech UVA rivalry, I did uh, quote passages of that. Yeah, uh, him and Lazenby. He needs to update that thing. Yeah, I mean it it cuts off at like nineteen ninety seven or something, doesn't it? Yeah, something. Uh, But it it had it had very good stuff about the the origins of the UVA rivalry and. the first player, the the famous player, Hunter Carpenter, Hunter Carpenter Hunter who Carpenter. played like eight years. Make, make sure you make sure you yeah. show the book to the camera. Here. I had to look look it up, uh, but yeah, and they had uh, great passages on him and like his uh, obsession with beating UVA. <laughs> and he, Chris is right; he was in college for like eight years. Like, so, so obsessed, I guess the eligibility uh, issues he was, weren't as he, a, he was so obsessed that he transferred from Tech to UNC to beat U, uh, UVA, and then he transferred from UNC back to Virginia Tech to play like another year or two. And then before that <laughs> yeah. game, when, they, when Virginia. 
unit or, uh, or VAMC back in the day right. uh, beat UVA. There was like this big controversy because like the UVA student paper had said that uh, or they, they like wanted them to like sign affidavits to say that they weren't professional players or something like that. And, and like he ended up like saying they slandered him in the newspaper. There's like a whole big controversy and like almost the game was almost not played. Uh, and eventually they they did play it and Carpenter won it and got ejected from the game. <laughs> by punched the somebody in the yeah. face. Yeah. Uh, oh, if I had a what, time what machine. This, what, what, this was like the this is like eighteen ninety five or something goodness. like that. Yeah. It, it was way back then. It was um, back at the beginning. So yeah, I mean stuff like that was was fun to to research because like who's gonna know about that otherwise? Yeah. I mean you yeah, have sure. to be like a true true diehard. If, if some of the that. stuff that happened in the early days of college football before there was TV and social media and anything basically if some of those things happen today people would have a lot of things to say about them like if if one of tech players right now went out and punched somebody in the face during a game and got ejected, got ejected be right. like what's wrong with that guy well, but hunter remember, carpenter did it in 1905 so it's okay hunter right. carpenter was essentially like a professional player right who entered the transfer portal <laughs> and came back after the transfer portal was like an eighth right. year senior and he was a thug who got ejected from games <laughs> like i mean like if you if, if people say like oh my gosh these guys these days are so it's like this uh, guy was like that pretty much hunter carpenter so. Yeah. so 100 years from now we'll look back on like garrett blunt and the punch he threw for oregon <laughs> as like how we look back at hunter carpenter and, and we love hunter carpenter for all those reasons actually that's amazing yeah. Think about that too, UVA and Tech, just a hundred years ago, and how it's still kind of a thing today. You know, yeah. of course, so. all that investigative reporting by the UVA newspaper. Yeah, but it, it was stuff like that that was fun about writing the book and like going back and, and looking this stuff up. And uh, I'll be honest, last year when I got the, it was uh, I got the assignment like August, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to do this book?" I'm like, "Yes, that would be a great thing." August to do. of 2018. August of 2018. Right. Uh, and they're like, uh, you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a great project in the off season. <laughs> Not now. And this is right after I had started working for the athletic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got all yeah, my, you're I got all my product placement today. So Will's got the, <laughs> and I'm wearing an old school, uh, the all American. That's like vintage t-shirt. right there. That's yeah. Yeah. No yeah. longer. I, I was, one, I was one of the early subscribers and, uh, you know, I, I think they paid me to subscribe actually. I subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I subscribed for a year before I actually worked there. So I, I think it was more out of hope for like the industry. Like, oh, hopefully this will work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just started at the athletic, so like, obviously, want to do a good job with the job I just got uh, for the company that was supporting me with all the resources <laughs> in my Twitter lawsuit. Uh, you know, you, you want to do good good work for that. Well, we're going to talk about that. that. Uh, so you know, during the season, like, I kind of put it off and kind of put it off. I had like a couple, two chapters I had to file in like October, just as like benchmarks. Like, here's what I'm here doing. Just make right. sure you're doing Take a look right. And- so it gets around the bowl game. And that's the military bowl year. So I'm up in D.C. like two months before this thing is due. And I've got like five chapters done out of 100. Mm. Uh, So I just went into like assembly line mode where it was like every night, you know, I put my daughter to sleep at at 8 o'clock. And then I would just churn out chapters at night. You know, do my regular job during the day, put her to sleep, and then just like write till midnight every single night. So I'm churning out like three chapters on the, some of the weekends. I'd, I'd get a really, like a really good day. I think I would get like seven chapters done and I, I did it. So I got them done by like February 1st. So I had two weeks to like go back and edit and go through stuff. But uh, it was an intensive couple of months, like a month and a half doing that stuff. And uh, you know, the final product I, I think turned out great. 
uh, is really rewarding to like see see a, your name on a book and like this go to Barnes and Noble. And, so is that your first sit, book? Yeah, first book. Cool. Uh, and people are like, oh, so what are you going to write for your next book? I'm like, I don't know if I want to do another book. Like, that, was, <laughs> that was a lot of work doing yeah. that. Uh, do it. So I think I'll just enjoy terms. this uh, the product. Uh, as All right, it is so right now. so you can get it on Amazon, right? Yeah, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you know, there's a a website, I can't remember what it's called, where you can like find a local bookseller if that's so, your thing. So, uh, 100 Things to Do, what's the exact title, Virginia Tech fans? Virginia, 100 Things Virginia Tech fans should know and do before they die. Before they so, die. we need to, for next week's show, we need to print off that list of things and check off every uh-huh. single one that we've done. We do. Oh, I'm sure you guys have, have done or known yeah. everything in here. The, the thing is, is, like this thing goes, I filed it almost a year ago to the, the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously you have to do some editing and some rewrites. You know, Buzz Williams leaves that <laughs> changes the Buzz Williams chapter a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so the book is about to come out. I think it came out September 3rd last year. And obviously start of spring pra- or August practice, Bud Foster announces his retirement. And that happened. Oh, I'm man. like, Oh man, what kidding? did I put in the Bud Foster chat? Like, I hope I didn't like, I hope I didn't end the chapter like, and Bud Foster will continue for years and years to come <laughs> or something like that. Like I went back and looked down, like, thankfully I, I did not leave it open-ended like that. Uh, I ended it. Uh, I, I, I think I ended with like, he said, this is home or something like something like that's, you know, not dependent on time or how long he's going to be the coach. So, so question question well. for you, is one of the hundred things tailgate on center street? It was not. Oh, uh, I, I kind of folded that into the attend a game at lane stadium. I mentioned center street on that. Uh, I didn't feel like I had the, uh, the in-depth knowledge about the center street tailgate to, or the firsthand knowledge. You to could write just about Google it. it. <laughs> I could, but I don't feel like that's the same experience. Uh, I feel like it would have been disingenuous to be like, you got to do this. True. Uh, true. And having never gone there and not being of that age that would put, Ooh, <laughs> go in man, there to do a, that. It's a, spe- I, it's a spectacle. Well, on the game I attended, I, I, we walked by that and I'm with my dad he's 75. Uh, you know, walked by that and we're like, yeah, that's a little bit uh, of a young crowd for us. Uh, <laughs> I think we're going to just keep I, on walking I, by that. I can see myself being 75 and still being drawn. To there is a, <laughs> there's a story to be written there, but it is a story to be written by a college age student experiencing that and not, uh, you know, a 40 year old like myself. Hmm. All right. Uh, one thing I do want to ask you about, and I, I don't know if this um, correlated to the book, but I, I remember at one point you tweeted that you were at Tots. That was uh, research for the book. Re- and you, something... you had a rail in the middle of the day, right? Yeah, I did. You just, tell us I, about that experience. Uh, well, that was one of the, the chapters was have a rail at Tots. And you, know, you kind of tie that into other downtown stuff that you do on a game day. And I'm like, you know, I haven't had a rail at Tots since I think the 2006 or two, 2006 or seven, which one of those games was in Blacksburg. Uh, the which UVA, one games? UVA games. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, 2006 was in Blacksburg. Okay, because I was covering UVA back then, so I was here. Huh. And okay. I think, I think afterwards, this is when Nathan Waters was covering Virginia Tech for the Lynchburg paper. Mm-hmm. I was covering UVA. Norm was still on the beat, obviously. Daryl Slater, Kyle Tucker, yeah. Adam Kilgore. We were all on the on the. So the lesson here is that covering UVA drove you to drink. Yeah. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> after that game, we all went out. We ended up at Tots. That was the first rail I had. Wow. Uh, so uh, that was my first experience. Of, but you don't really remember that. I don't know if that was because of the rail itself or because it was so long ago. So I'm like, you know, I'll go out 
lunchtime and have one. And I'll, I'll tell you, it did the trick. It was you have one of those, and man, you're like yeah, it did you trick. feel it the trick. after one of those. And I was a little sick at the time too, so uh, not like sick from the the alcohol, like sick. I had a cold. Uh, clear it clears off the sinus. Yeah, it does. It does do that. So <laughs> it, it was pretty good. I you know it wasn't like the full. Uh, I, I always drink more when I get a cold. It's, you just have to. It makes you feel better. Yeah, it wasn't like the full no, tots experience. I wasn't there on like a, a bar night or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> eating a, a sandwich at lunch and having a, a, a rail is probably not the same thing as going out there on a Friday night. But you know, it gave me some perspective for that chapter. But yeah, it was the one time I can legitimately say I'm out here for official work business, having a, a rail for lunch. 100 Things Virginia Tech Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Show that up to the camera one more time. You can get that again on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you can buy books. I know they have a, they have a couple of copies on the shelf. If you the, have uh, Google, you'll be able to find Good. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I ordered it off Amazon from uh, again a Christmas gift from my dad. He loved it, so well, really I like, highly encourage. If you go into Barnes & Noble, it's like because they put the, the author's names alphabetically. Uh, so you have... Frank Beamer, <laughs> let me be frank. That book is up there. I, mean, I know he didn't write it. Jeff Snook wrote the book, but it was uh, you know Frank's words that he put into the book. Uh, Buzz Bissinger, Friday Night Lights, mm. you know, like the best sports book ever written. <laughs> and then my book after that. So I'm like, hey, you, know, you got all your sports <laughs> needs are taken care of in one little three author stretch there. Mm. There you go. All right, we're going to be rapid fire here. Uh, we're over an hour on the podcast, and uh, we still quickly want to just briefly touch on spring practice and floor and ceiling of the 2020 Virginia Tech football team here in February as we talk about it. What stands out to you about spring practice, though, right now, Andy? I think it's just the unknowns on defense. And, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, just what the scheme is going to look like. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, I know they know them, but they're sort of re-auditioning for new coaches. And when that happens, you never know exactly how things are going to play out. Uh, you know, is, is Tracy Clay is going to look at the linebacker situation the same with, with Dax at backer? Or is they, they going to tweak something there and Tisdale gets more time? Uh, I think it's just sort of the unknown right now that is the most interesting thing to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so and rather than repeating what he just said, I'll look at the offensive side of the ball and say, Wide receiver depth, obviously with Damon Hazelton gone. Uh, you got one proven player there as an outside receiver, and that's Trey Turner. So who steps up there? Does James Mitchell take on more of that role? Uh, and obviously who replaces Dalton Keene at H-back? Such an important position in Justin Fuente's offense. I didn't even hear the question because I was He's busy looking, looking at his phone. I'm looking up the 2020 schedule. To, uh, to, to, how about, how well, about this, the offensive line, too? I mean, there's so many. Uh, you have Brock Hoffman back in the mix, yeah, and you have yeah. so many guys competing for five spots that uh, I mean, there's going to be legitimate battles at every position. There were years. Yeah, I have no idea how it's going to play out. There are years in the past where Virginia Tech start of uh, Virginia Tech starting offensive linemen, or one year in specifically where I only thought three of their starting five offensive linemen were FBS players. Yeah. And, they don't uh, have that problem they anymore. Don't, they don't have that problem anymore. This is much better. Yeah. Uh, let's transition. Uh, go ahead and uh, talk about the 2020 season. Will, you've got the schedule up. Andy, I'll let you get the first crack at it. I know it's February. It's early, but it's always fun for us to kind of just look at it and speculate a little bit. Let me ask you this. Floor and the ceiling of this 2020 team. What do you think record-wise? Uh, you know, ceiling, I, I think 10-2 and two is probably there. I mean, I guess if you want to... Uh, stretch the imagination. There's a world where you could conceive 11 and one if people want to uh, really let things kind of go. Uh, you know, I, th I think a 10 win season within reach. I think that'd be a two game improvement on last year, which is reasonable 
they were a couple of fourth down stops away from winning. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were close to it year. this year. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's certainly possible, especially with what they have coming back. Floor, I'd probably put in the 7-5 range just because I think a bowl game is probably a given uh, just with the, the non-conference schedule they have. Uh, you know, if they take a step back from last last year, I don't think it'd be a huge one. I, mean, I suppose I could see a situation where – you know, a receiver gets hurt, like uh, an important receiver like Trey gets hurt, and then like who are you going to throw the ball to? And or, or a quarterback gets hurt, and how are the backups going to do? I mean, that that's sort of those situations where a team would underperform. But I'd probably say seven and five at at the worst, and you know, best of the best, maybe eleven and one. But nine and three is my prediction. So <laughs> there you go, right in the middle. I right, we'll take questions here. Well, my, my floor would be eight, yeah. and four, eight and four, and ceiling would be eleven and one. So take what he said and just add a win. Yeah. Um. I think the absolute ceiling would be 11 and 1 and that's if everybody stays healthy and you get more bounces than goes against you, right? Yeah. And you know, 7 and 5 range would be the other way around where you have a bunch of injuries and you don't necessarily get those bounces. But in general, you know, I think probably if I was Vegas, I'd set the over under at 9 and a half. I'd go lower than that with the over. I'd okay. say like 8 8 and a half. I always put maybe. a half in there i'd so, say eight yeah. and a half because I'd, I'd be like eight and nine i could see both those right. happening like nine if you said at nine and a half you're like saying mm. they have to win 10 regular season games like that's to go over not yeah. easy yeah that's tough to do it yeah. is so andy's at nine and three right now february where does chris coleman and will stewart sit if they have yeah, i'm on the start. nine and three ten and two fence okay. I'll, I'll get i'll get on the nine and three train uh you know the the, the games that are going to be tough are penn state um unc uh and who am I leaving out? Miami. Yeah. Miami. Yeah. DR King. I don't know, man. You'd have to lose all three of those to go. But, you know, and Louisville. Then, I think then, Louisville will sneak but the, but the, Well, Louisville's is, very well coached, so you're right. I think they're well coached. This is what we do every year is we you go ahead and you try to pick the games that they're going to win. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, right. 2016, did you think Tech was going to lose to Syracuse? So uh, you know, last year, did right. you think they'd lose to BC and Duke? I mean, just these games, right? And I, then beat Miami, and yeah. I try to do this based on not like going by game by game. I'm like, is the team better than they were last year? Right? Are they? And I think they are, and so that's why I'm picking, I'm picking a, a one game improvement. I think it was Reese Davis that I was listening to when he was talking about like trying to do predictions, and he's like, if if you have deficiencies, a loss will find you. Right. Like you don't go through the schedule and say, "Oh, you're better than you should be better than Georgia Tech, or you should be better than well, this well, team." Because Tech on a lose. given day, something might show up, and and, and you know. then you end up well, losing that game. And you have to admit that the schedule is more difficult this year, simply because you don't play two FCS opponents, right? And you add Penn State. Yep. So well, Penn State in place of Notre Dame. I mean, you, you, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. UNC is going to be better. Sam um, Howell's going to get better. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, so anyway. but, but at the same time, you think UVA takes a little bit of a step back, right? Uh, who knows with Pitt? Yeah, I don't uh, know anything about them. It's there's a lot of teams in the, in the ACC that are like you're not head and shoulders better than it, but the, the matchup's close enough that it could go either thin way. Thin margin, a lot of either times. way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's probably fewer games where I look at it ahead of time this year and I go, that's 50-50. Whereas right. last year, I thought that was the entire schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I said, you know, I said 8-4 and four and I thought I was on the low end of what a lot of people were predicting. I think a lot of people were like, oh, 10-2 and two or he's fired. It's like, well, first of all, if 10-2 if and two or he's fired is your your default, like, yeah. you need to recalibrate those yeah. expectations because yeah. 10 wins 
is quite an accomplishment. I know Frank Beamer made it look easy, but to win 10 games is not, different era, not an easy thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Yeah. But so, anyway, uh, Duke picked up Chase Price. Do you guys see that the transfer oh, yeah, from Clemson? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's going to be a couple new uh, quarterback faces in the ACC Coastal next year. Uh, without further ado, he has sat there and waited so patiently. He is the best producer in the land. He is Malcolm Stewart. He's got our Facebook Live questions. Malcolm, how's it going over there, my friend? I'm doing all right. We will start with Chris Grella. How big of an impact is a head coach's personality on overall recruiting? Example, Franklin versus Fuente. We are being baited here. I Listen, guys recruit in all sorts of different ways. I think the key to recruiting is to be yourself with it. Because yeah. I think these recruits can sniff out an imposter. And, you know... Franklin, I feel like part of Franklin's is an act, but it is still kind of how he is all the time. He's like PJ Fleck, PJ Fleck, where like I don't know if you can be that like over caffeinated all the time. Like, so I think it's a little bit of a put on, but I think it generally is in line with what their personality is like. If Fuente tried to go out there and be like James Franklin and the, do all this stuff, and he's running around, and you know, the, it, like Fleck does, where he's he's running up and down the sideline like that. It would just feel not genuine, and I feel like recruits and young people can see that. They can they can tell when you're trying, you're forcing something like that because is you know they don't just see the press conferences like they they come to your home and they sit there with you. They're gonna get a, a good sense of what you are. So, um, you know, is is it? better to be a big personality like that in recruiting it pr- probably helps a little bit but i i don't think it's something you can fake necessarily so yeah be i don't want a fake football coach i mean i think that's terrible um now you also have to understand all right i've, I've sat in a, plenty of justin fuente press conferences i've also sat in justin fuente's office with him and one other person and the atmosphere is completely different he is a totally normal guy when you sit in his office. Yeah. And that's the atmosphere in which recruits see him. So this stuff you see on television at press conferences. Is this water bottle right here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I've been trying not to do that, too much the water bottle. That's not the Justin Fuente that recruits see. So that that's completely overblown. That That's just something that the people are nitpicking right now. But that, that's not the Justin Fuente that recruits see. Uh, some, I mean, some guys just have a – I don't know. It, it, and it's not just the personality. Like, you look at what Mac Brown's doing down at North Carolina. He had a good recruiting class last year. He's off to a really good start this year. That's not just Mac's come-on-in-gosh-golly personality, um, his, his genuine personality. It's the brand. It's the assistant coaches he's hired. You know, it, it's the whole operation. How big his staff is. You know. Yeah. Um, so, it's uh, – I, And, you know – we sat here. We started this show talking about Virginia Tech's lack of re, of resources yeah. relative to other schools. So don't expect Fuente to win a gunfight with a knife, right? And you look at a guy like Ed Orgeron, and we've talked about this. Orgeron is so well staffed and funded that all he's got to do is go around and be Ed Orgeron. He went ten and twenty five at Ole Miss. His last year there was zero and eight in the SEC, and yeah. now all of a sudden he's coach of the year. And he's killing it because he's got tremendous support at LSU right. and his personality. His, his personality didn't fits. help him any at Ole Miss, did it? Go Tigers. Well, I, I, think that, I think there's room for growth as a coach. Absolutely. Too. Sure. I mean, he, he had a pretty public failure like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he bounced back. He did pretty well as an interim coach at USC, which 
uh, USC in high, in hindsight, man. Yeah. Like, I am hey, trying. Maybe to, we should just get yeah. Orgeron here. I'm trying to picture Orgeron at USC in, in, in LA, LA. That's just an odd. He had a couple yeah. of coaching stints there, so it's not like yeah. it was a one-time thing. Yeah. So he was in Miami uh, too at one point. But I mean, man, I mean, talk about the perfect marriage of coach and culture and yeah. city and school. I mean, it, that's LSU. So from that. that standpoint, the personality does matter. And I think I would just I, I, I didn't phrase it that way in talking about Mac Brown. Mac Brown's a really good fit at UNC. So. I talked to somebody who has been at L- one of LSU's coaches shows in Baton Rouge, like their version of Tech Talk Alive, and he said it was just another world. All, all those all those Bayou people show up in this restaurant, and Orgeron comes in and just says, "Go Tigers!" for like an hour, and everybody just eats it up. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this: we talk about personality. Gus Malzahn at Auburn is the most bland person on the planet. And he's a pretty good recruiter. And now that's a school that has the resources and they have a bunch of other people out there that, that do that stuff. Uh, so personality is not everything. When it, You have to look at the big picture with some of this stuff. Uh, could it help a little bit? Yeah, I'd say so. But I don't think it's, uh, you know, put James Franklin at Bowling Green. I don't think he's recruiting like he is at Penn State right now. There, there are more factors to it. Yeah, Good question. <laughs> All right, uh, Ronnie Adams has a question specifically for Andy. Is Teal headed to the Athletic? I hate to waste him on those silly who's. I, I don't know. I really wish that we would hire him. Uh, I don't know if that's in our plans or anything like that. It's like, but man, that's like quite a free agent. I was gonna say market. he's he's the My top of the goodness. market free agent right now. Uh, he's, he's setting the bar. It just tells you how rough this business is, just in general. If a guy like Teal. Some newspaper company could come in and buy up a paper and be like, this guy, like, they obviously know that he would make their product better, but for some reasons, the like financial and everything involved with it, they're like, no, we're better off if, if we get rid of guys like this. And it's like, Man, what what are what are you doing? Like, now to be clear, they didn't get rid of they him. Didn't. They didn't. I mean, they, they offered buyouts. And, they offered and, the buyouts, but you know, behind and, it, behind that reasoning is if you're offering this out and all these experienced people take it, your product is going to be worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just a straight up fact. And so they're making decisions now with the product in mind. I realize the challenges with newspapers and how tough it is uh, financially to make that thing work, but. I don't feel like this is the answer. <laughs> if I had $100 to spend tomorrow and I had a choice between a whole newspaper or stuff David Teal wrote, I would pick David Teal. Right. Because that's, where, no that's where your interest yeah. is. I'd say that if Teal came to you, I feel like we'd crush some subscriptions. Sure. I'll say that much. Like, man, it would be like, it'd be like over in the state of Virginia. Like, we, <laughs> it would be a very good scene. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. fingers crossed. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he's very busy listening to offers right now oh yeah yeah well that's the other thing is uh hall of fame <laughs> sports right like yeah, that. that helps he'll probably have some options yeah yeah i asked him uh, i dm'd him and i said listen i know uh you got a lot coming at you but uh, we'd love to have you on the podcast when are you going to be in blacksburg again and he's going to be in town for the tech uva basketball game which i think is wednesday the 26th and i told him that would fit really well in the schedule games at seven o'clock at night you can come do the podcast in the morning you know, and he said, I'll think about it. And I think what I'll think about it means is I don't know who I'm going to be working for at that <laughs> point in time. Yeah. That is a good point. Plus, uh, sometimes after the games, they'll just drive back to Newport yeah. News. Yeah. yeah. And they make that full, full round that's trip a, that's on a, a single hike. day. Oh, yeah. That's that long. Yeah. All right, Malcolm, what else we have? Uh, Tim Wisman, thoughts on Tavion Robinson. Will he have a stronger second year? I think so. Uh, you know, he didn't really 
I mean, I know he had some big receiving games, but he didn't really step into that punt returning role until the second half of the season, which I thought he was fantastic. I mean, you look at his average, it's up there among the, the nation's best. Uh, and then the, I think he had 14 returns on the season. Uh, yeah, I, I think better things are ahead for that guy just because, you know, he'll finally be in a college weight room for the first time this offseason. I mean, uh, to show up on campus and then play immediately like that is a very tough thing to do. Uh, so the, the longer he's in practice learning plays and the playbook and has everything down and the more he's in a weight room, getting better that way, uh, yeah, I would think better things are ahead for him. I don't know if that's going to translate to, oh, he's going to have a 1,000-yard season or something like that or some huge increase in his stats, but I, I think he'll be a better player for sure. Well, you consider the fact that he didn't play wide receiver in high school. He was a quarterback. What he did this past season, learning a completely different position and a college playbook in one month was extremely difficult, and he was able to do it. So from that standpoint, yeah, he's going to get better because he's gaining more and more experience at a position that is still relatively new to him. I was trying to look up his stats. I was, stats your head over there. I was <laughs> trying to look up his stats for the season on Hokie Sports, and and oh, it allow wasn't, me, wasn't cooperating. Uh, Not on the phone anyway. Yeah, just go to Sports Reference. Sorry, Hokie Sports. <laughs> it's that. What is the the server that every site uses now? Sidearm. Oh, it's no, just so it's unusable. No, no, si- yeah, Virginia Tech site used to be great, <laughs> and they used to do it in house with all the stats, and now they have to like wedge it into this other system. And it's if, just, if it's I almost want unusable stats for a player these days, I just type in the player name and then college sports reference, yeah. and go to their college sports reference page. So, so the question is, if you think how good do you think he's going to be? Is uh, what were his weaknesses last year? You know, and Andy brought up that he didn't start returning punts till late in the season, so he has potential to get better at that. And honestly, I don't really know what his weaknesses were. He had some, uh, he had some drops. Yeah. yeah, he's just but, not uh, used to catching the ball. Yeah, I think some some of that is like he was looking ahead to what he was doing yes. next. Before you remember the uh, big one again in the ODU game, um, it was like third and ten, and he was coming off the across the middle on a slant, and there was no ODU guy within twenty five yards of him. Yeah, and he, he just dropped it, and it killed killed a drive. Probably cost Tech seven points. Um, so, I think he had a. Drop against Notre Dame, maybe. Uh, yeah, so some hands. He's got to continue to work on hands. Also, his uh, throwing on reverses. <laughs> Could use some work also. <laughs> his decision making. Was it Georgia Tech game? Was that him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Because I remember at the time, I'm like, why would you waste that at the Georgia Tech game? And right. I guess maybe seeing the Just end result of it film, is why yeah. they wasted it at the Georgia Tech game as <laughs> it wasn't uh, a fully formed play. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, maybe a little bit with the passing as well. All right, what's next, Malcolm? Uh, Kevin Whitley. Assuming Hendon Hooker is the starter, do you see Quincy getting on the field in situations other than the backup quarterback? Yeah, I do. I think uh, I think that's something they'd like to do with him is, is do it more than just just even like a wildcat quarterback situation, which is really all he did other than the, uh, the games where he had to come in as an injury replacement. I think they'd like to uh, give him a bigger complement of the offense and kind of develop him in that way. Because you don't you don't want to just keep giving them little bits and pieces or like a niche part of the offense. Because then, you know, if push comes to shove and you have to start the game, you're not really prepared for that. So, uh, I would imagine that they would try to get him more than just uh, you know little bits and pieces here in this next season. Maybe a fuller form, fully formed drives and. Uh, you know, more than just ramming him into the line like a, a battering ram. Well, the first thing it's going to depend on is whether he's second string or third string. Because once the season starts and you're preparing for different opponents, you don't get your third string quarterback very many reps at all because the likelihood that you're actually going to have to use your third string quarterback 
is very unlikely. It happened once this past year. It happened once back in 2008 at Florida State. Those are the only times I can ever remember Virginia Tech ever needing a third-string quarterback. So once a decade, basically. Or once every decade and a half. It is a new decade. Exactly. You're right. Uh, (laughs) Yes, that's true. Um, So I think the chances increase if he becomes Virginia Tech's second-string quarterback. If, but if he's third string, I don't know if there, there's enough reps to go around to that, that you're able to do that. So he's got to be a bit out. If he beats out Burmeister, he puts himself in a better position for, for something like that to happen. Well, I will say with uh, with Hooker as the presumed starter, not the most durable guy. Correct. Uh, you know, I mean, he takes a, a beating out there. Yeah, he does. Running the ball a lot. He's not Gerard Evans's size. He's not mm-hmm. Logan Thomas's size. So. Uh, you know, he had the knee last year. I mean, his left shoulder popped out of place early in the season. They popped it back in. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of things where I, th- I think that was actually part of the initial reason why they were maybe hesitant to go to him. Right. They they didn't know how long he could play in a game or or if he would he would hold up under that kind of punishment. So uh, I think that concern will still be there next year, and and that's part of the reason why they would like to get these backups, you know, up and ready to go in case they need to go that direction. Right, and I'll say Tech's got to be the only school in the country that has currently has three quarterbacks on the roster who have won a Power 5 football game, right, as, as Fuente brought that up. Quincy didn't start against UNC, but he played the second half. When he got the win. He got the win. It's like a pitcher exactly. in baseball. He ends up yes. getting credited with the win. Exactly, yeah. So. He pitched three solid innings. Right, the, but, but the at, the same, the game. at the same time, in the modern era of college athletics, that's not a situation that is probably going to last. You expect to keep three guys like that on the same roster for more than a year. The portal beckons. Somebody's got to be third string. Yeah. No, but nobody wants to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. How about one more, Malcolm? All right. Last one from Patrick McHale. How good can the 2021 recruiting class be? Top 25? Top 10? (laughs) <laughs> Not top ten. <laughs> if they go top twenty-five, I think that's a success. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they're in the, if they're around twenty, I think that's and maybe even the high teens. That's probably best case scenario, just because historically that's that's the ceiling for mm-hmm. Virginia Tech. And, and like I said, I don't think it really changes too much over time from coach to coach. I mean, it's, it's sort of the program's capabilities uh, as recruiters. Uh, would they get to like 17th this year after being 71st last year? That seems like a stretch, but I think if they go top 30, that's pretty good. If they're, you know, low twenties, that's, uh, that's probably something to celebrate for Hokies fans. I've gone through this exercise before, uh, people who want tech to sign top 10 or top 15 classes. And, you know, let's say you take a year where Virginia tech ranks 25th and you look at the 24 teams ahead of them. And then you say, okay, that means Virginia tech is going to have to beat out these 24 schools for recruits so you throw out the west coast teams because tech doesn't even recruit against them head to head so basically any team west of the mississippi ahead of tech in the rankings you throw out because tech is not recruiting head to head against them and then you consider the east coast teams ohio state clemson alabama penn state is it realistic for Virginia Tech to win enough of those battles against those programs with as much money as they have and as much fan support and as big as their staffs are? Is it realistic enough for Virginia Tech to win enough of those battles to jump into the top 15 or 10? So that's the that's or even really, 20. That's the question that's being asked. It's not how highly ranked do you think their class can be? How many of these recruiting battles against the Blue Bloods can you win? Is that conceivable? Well, it's like uh, – 
Tony Grimes. And what's he, number 10 nationally? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, what are their chances with him? And I'm just straight up honest with them. I'm like, next to nothing. Right. Like, other than Kevin Jones, has Tech won any of those battles in its history? Recruiting-wise? I mean, Mar- Marcus Vick was pretty high up there. Yeah, but <clears> and, and, and they Obviously, the, there was a, a reason why. And they had the inside track on Tyrod the whole time, basically. Right. Yeah, right but even he wasn't like a, a top 50 guy, was he? No, he was. was yeah, he, he was, was. five-star. Where, yeah. where was okay. Macho Harris? Do you remember, Chris? He's, he was started off as a five-star and ended as a very upper four-star. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's pushing top 50. Kendall Fuller yeah. was the last five-star of this program, yeah, landed, yeah. correct, in 2013? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of what you're up against. Yeah. Especially with, you know, when Clemson and Alabama and Ohio State and all these schools that play in the playoff every year come in and can like show that to a guy, you can want to do that or and play on the biggest stage in college or you want to go to the Belk Bowl, like that sort of tells you kind of the the sure. you know it lays out the competition there and, and what right. what might be at play. Yeah, you you can't sit here and talk about how behind Virginia Tech is from a resources standpoint and a staff standpoint, you can't admit that yet also expect the staff to improve recruiting with those resources that are lower than everybody else's, right? How could you possibly expect that? But then again, when when you talk about recruiting support staff and all that stuff, that's not really a factor in the Grimes recruitment. Correct. They know about him, and they're going to recruit him. You don't need Huddle to find out that Tony Grimes is a good player. But but there are other resources we talk about that are factors. Yes. All right. Thanks to everybody for the great Facebook Live questions. We appreciate that. Thank you, Malcolm. Uh, And – all of a sudden, it has turned into the longest podcast we've ever done here at Tech Side. Yeah, so, uh, Andy, thank you uh, for sticking around a little bit extra longer. Uh, but this is this has been fantastic. What, what time is your dentist appointment? Uh, it's at noon. Okay. What time you got we got? Eleven fifteen. Okay. Um, but yeah, that'll be less pleasant than this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw a tweet. I'll shout out uh, my buddy Bailey Angle to close. He tweeted something the other day and said, like, basically along the lines, Tech fans. Would you take a national championship in football if it meant you had to go to the dentist every three months for an intensive cleaning? And like 90% of people said yes. And he was like, come on now. I mean, dentist every three months is a tough The cleaning's not that bad. You know know who hates going to the dentist? Cam Chancellor. I found that out years ago. Really? Also, my daughter, uh, (laughs) last time we went there, and they got like the, the bottom teeth clean. And then she, or the top, and then she just not let him do the bottom. She sat there. Wow. So That's she was pretty awful. good the it's previous awful. time, time it before is, yeah. that. It's but awful. They're like, we don't want to traumatize her, so we'll just we'll leave it with this. But Wendy, how can uh, how can everybody, uh, if they're not already, uh, follow along with what you're doing, your great work at the Athletic and on social media? How can everyone follow along with you? Uh, Theathletic.com. All my stuff's up there. There's a Virginia Tech tab, so it's uh, real easy. You just go there and. Uh, bookmark that or or on your app if you follow virginia tech on that everything will just pop up in your feed uh, very easy uh andy bitter vt remains my twitter account <laughs> after much uh wrangling there uh so yeah i'm on twitter andy bitter vt i got a facebook page that uh, is less popular now than it was when i was writing for roanoke and everything was free uh so yeah look at the twitter account that's probably the best way to, to find all my stuff because I'll, I'll tweet it out throughout the day fantastic Will, Chris, any final thoughts here before we sign off? Nope, just appreciate you being on. Andy. Yeah, no, well, yeah thanks, Ray. Thank you again, Andy. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. Again, this has been a terrific episode of the Tech We, we will do it again someday, and we will talk about the Twitter battle. Yes. We, we I was trying out. to work that in. I was just There's like, there's only we, so much I can say about it with yeah. the, uh, the with settlement the, and the uh, disclosure <laughs> agreements and non disparagement agreements and everything involved with that. So right. 
I'd have to walk a, a delicate tightrope. He'd to have talk to come on here and it. have a lot of documents right here saying. I'll, I'll have my lawyer that. Ben Rottenborn, and that yeah. is his name. The team of Rottenborn and Bitter. Uh, <laughs> I, I could have him on the set with me, and anytime I start to stray a little bit too far, I'd be like, "No, I won't go with that." So. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It's Andy Bitter. This has been episode 117 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We will be back on Monday morning. I will have viewed Office Space, and we will lead off the podcast with that. A reminder to follow us here at Tech Sideline on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Tech Sideline. If you're watching this video on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. That'll do it for for the best producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, on the podcast set. Andy Bitter, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for watching. This has been episode 117 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by the Fisher Law Firm. Have a great week, everybody.